Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Welcome to Private Club Radio, episode 152, and I am back in Tampa after basically a month away. Speaking at the European Conference on Club Management, it was a wonderful time. You may have seen on Instagram, if you were following me, or on Twitter or Facebook, that I was on a camel in the Moroccan desert in the Sahara. I was on the Portuguese coastline. I was standing on the Rock of Gibraltar and all over the English and Wales countryside. And as great as that trip was, it is wonderful to be back here in Tampa, back home. There's no place like home, and I'm sure you can relate. But it was a great time, especially at the European Conference on Club Management. Big congratulations to Toby Johansson for putting on a great show and the rest of the team, Debbie Goddard and the other folks at the CMAE. Really enjoyed a lot of the sessions. Got to see my buddy Norm Spitzig over there as well. He spoke on Tuesday to help wrap the conference up, and it was a really, really good time had by all. Well, on this episode of Private Club Radio, we're going to be joined by the folks from the National Club Association. First off, we'll have Henry Wallmeyer talking about an extremely cool partnership that they have struck up, as well as some details of their upcoming National Club Conference in 2019 in Washington, D.C. We'll also have Brad Steele giving us an election recap on this episode, so you can find out what our November elections will foretell for the private club industry here moving forward over the next couple of years. It's going to be a really wonderful episode. Stay tuned, and I will catch you on the flip side of these two interviews. And now it's time for Club Perspectives, presented by the National Club Association. Welcome to another edition of Club Perspectives, presented by the National Club Association. I'm excited to be joined today by Henry Wallmeyer. Henry, how are you? I'm doing great, Gabe. How are you, sir? Um, fantastic. And... It's a crazy time right now up in D.C., but you've got some amazing things happening with the National Club Association. First thing is you're, you're now partnered with a new magazine, Eloquence Magazine. I'd love to talk to you about that one, Henry. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and we do have a lot of things going on outside of our normal uh, government relations and, and lobbying activities and happy to talk to you about uh, about them. Uh, Eloquence magazine is a lifestyle magazine that celebrates uh, you know the private club and affluent lifestyle. And we're very excited to be able to partner with them to provide our members uh, the first ever lifestyle magazine for uh, the private club industry. And we've been working with them for a couple of years. They actually did a feature on me and on the association and really on private clubs and uh, how they've changed over the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so and, and what they're doing for uh, families and, and for their members. And so from there, we took it and said, you know, let's, you know, make this even stronger. Let's put this information out in front of our members. And so we have the opportunity now to provide our members with articles and stories that are celebrating uh, the finer things um, such as, you know, the tennis and yachting, golf, food and beverage, culture, philanthropy, arts, I mean, all these things that are related to to private clubs and gives us a different voice, you know, to be able to, uh, to again, show uh, the great works of, of private clubs and, and what they do and, and how they can benefit a, uh, an entire community. And we even had the first issue uh, has just come out. Uh, it was mailed um, 
uh, last week. It is going to all NCA members. Uh, there's going to be some stories in there that uh, talk about uh, Sleepy Hollow Country Club, the Jonathan Club. Uh, also covers a couple of speakers that we had at our conference, uh, Bill Walsh, the CEO of the Viceroy Hotel Group, and uh, Chip Brewer, the CEO of Callaway. Uh, and then also uh, talks about uh, the stained glass and paintings at the University Club of Chicago and, and the art. And so it just it provides a different avenue for um, you know more about private clubs and more about the National Club Association and, and who we are and, and what we do. And we're just very excited uh, for it. Uh, we've had a lot of clubs who have come to us and said, hey, you know, how can we be featured in this magazine? I want to be a part of it. And then also they wanted to know how they can um, you know, share this magazine with all of their members uh, at the club. And so there are opportunities for both of those. And we're very excited, um, you know, to work with clubs to see and if they do want to be featured or if, you know, they want to have the magazine sent to their entire membership as a benefit, uh, you know, to their members. So there's a lot going on, uh, you know, with this magazine. And I think, the, um, you know, mainly it is really going to be able to help us, you know, increase and and build the presence of the National Club Association as well as uh, the private clubs and, uh, and the industry overall. Yeah, it's always important, I think, as a as a manager or sitting on a board, just to know what trends are going on in the world. And I think a magazine like that will go a long way to keeping you abreast of the situation. It helps you make better decisions uh, in leadership roles, I think, when you know what people really want. <laughs> so I'm excited to read it. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, it's also it's a extremely impressive magazine uh, physically. Uh, it's usually, I think, about 200 or so pages. Um, it is, um, you know, coffee table book quality. Uh, so it's something that you are going to be proud to be a part of. And people are going to look at it and say, wow, this is something special. It's uh, it's not a typical, you know, weekly uh, magazine or monthly magazine. This is uh, very um, hefty uh, magazine that uh, that does show very very well, and again just builds that uh, um, you know that the presence of of who the National Club Association is and uh, and who we are as an industry. That's awesome. That's really cool. It reminds me of my Departures magazine. American Express sends me quarterly. It's pretty cool. It's big and oversized. Really nice paper. Um, yeah, absolutely. The other thing you guys have happening is the McMahon Awards of uh, Club Management Awards that are that you're partnering with. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, Henry. Uh, yeah, another thing that, uh, again, we're super excited about, uh, we are pleased to partner with uh, McMahon Group as well as Club and Resort Business uh, to be a, a co-sponsor of the Excellence in Club Management Awards. Uh, I think many of the listeners, um, and I know many of the people that you've had as guests, uh, have been uh, award recipients uh, of these very uh, prestigious awards. And this gives us the opportunity to really, you know, shine light on the uh, the managers that have excelled, um, you know, at their various clubs and really say, hey, this is what we should be uh, promoting, you know, in the club industry. These these managers, these uh, men and women who have done amazing things at their clubs, who have, you know, put their clubs up on a pedestal as, you know, as the best of the best. And so we had the opportunity to, uh, you know, to partner, uh, like I said, with McMahon and with Club and Resort Business. And we, um, you know, we jumped at that because we just really felt that the um, significance behind these awards, as well as the quality, was something that really represents, you know, NCA, uh, you know, as well as uh, our members. And uh, we're going to be promoting the awards. We're going to be encouraging, um, you know, all of our members to uh, to have um, their managers uh, nominated, whether it is a general manager or whether it is a, you know, a assistant general manager, a, a rising star. 
um, because we do want to see, um, you know, the people who deserve to be recognized. We want them to 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 be in the spotlight and be recognized. And one of the interesting things that uh, we're also doing with it is the winners, um, you know, of the awards each year. There's four winners, um, you know, four different categories, and those four winners are going to then make up a panel uh, group at our national club conference uh, every year. So we're excited to be able to, you know, promote these awards, be part of it, and then you know, showcase these winners at our conference. Uh, every year as part of a panel so that they can um, you know tell their colleagues what they've done to uh, to be an award winner what they've done to be successful you know how their um, you know fellow managers can you know take from them and ideally implement it back at, uh, at their club so that they too can uh, continue to be successful that's going to be a really fun thing at the at the national conference and it's going to be in DC this year, I know. Can you give us just a couple of the highlights, Henry, so we uh, get ready for what's coming down the pipe? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We are going to be here in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, April 28th through the 30th. Uh, so we're looking forward to inviting everybody to our hometown. <laughs> uh, we've got some great things uh, lined up. We're still working on uh, finalizing the full schedule, um, but I know we've got some great speakers that are very D.C.-centric. Uh, we've got some uh, events that are taking place at some um, very, very unique uh, places, and we think that we're going to put together something that uh, a manager comes – manager and or, you know, a board member who comes to this conference is going to say, wow, you know, I'm glad I did because I couldn't, um, you know, go to those things or do those things in D.C. unless I came to this conference. And that's what we're really looking to to put on that once in a lifetime, you know, uh, experience. Uh, we're still uh, finalizing everything uh, and then we'll be opening registration uh, the 1st of November. So uh, once we have uh, all of that done and registrations open, uh, I'll be happy to come back on and really uh, give a deep dive into all of the uh, educational sessions that we have, the speakers, uh, the networking events, and the locations where we'll be here around the city. We'd love to have you back on, Henry. And I invite listeners to check out our recap shows. We had three of those over the summer where we recapped what happened at the NCA conference. It was out in Los Angeles this year. And I'm really looking forward to going back home to Washington, D.C., this coming year in 2019. So I'll be there. I hope you'll be there and definitely check out nationalclub.org to learn more as details get dripped out to the public. Henry, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to speak with you and hope to do it again real soon. Absolutely, Gabe. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work and look forward to speaking to you again soon. Awesome, Henry. And now let's turn it over to Brad Steele, Vice President of Government Relations for the National Club Association. He's going to give us the election recap. Brad was kind enough to phone this one in to our voicemail while I was in Europe. And here's what Brad had to say. Well, hello, Gabe. It's always a pleasure to spend some time with you and your listeners. And uh, I know we're going to have some fun talking a little bit about what took place on November 6th. Well, to say the least, it was uh, an interesting evening, uh, to to say the least is right. Uh, I don't know that there was much uh, that was a surprise with regard to the outcome in both the House of Representatives and in the Senate uh, midterm elections. Somewhat anticlimactic in the House, as the expectation was that the Democrats would be able to prevail and take control. This is the fourth time that there has been a change in the control of the House of Representatives since 1994. So, Democrats now have control. They will do so starting January 3rd, 2019. I would anticipate that Nancy Pelosi, a Democrat from California, specifically the San Francisco area, will once again regain the Speaker's gavel. Uh, I would 
would also expect that the Democrats will not have a terribly large working majority. Now, they've gained a number of seats in this particular election. Right now, uh, uh, the uh, total Democratic uh, numbers are about 38 seats that they've picked up. A total of about 41, but uh, net was 38. There are still about four seats that are still uh, yet to be determined. I would expect that uh, there's a good opportunity for maybe one Republican to uh, be successful out of those four, maybe three more Democratic seats. So they may reach a net of 41. But at the end of the day, right now, what we're looking at is uh, approximately a 14, maybe to 17 seat working majority. What does that mean? Well, you know that any bill that passes the House of Representatives must get 218 votes. So if the Democrats currently have 235 or so uh, when all the dust has settled, then they're looking at only 17 seats or maybe a little less uh, and 17 votes that can not side with Nancy Pelosi and still pass legislation. We've seen with the Republicans when they were in control, they had about a 24-22 seat majority. Uh, that means they could lose 22 of their members and still pass legislation. Yet with the Republican Freedom Caucus being about 24-25 members, there was always a question of whether Speaker Ryan was going to be able to actually have enough to get to that 218 magic number. Now with the Democrats in control and maybe a 16 or 17 seat working majority, it may be the same kind of issue for a speaker, uh, a presumptive speaker Nancy Pelosi when she deals with legislative initiatives. If she loses those 16 or 17 members, she's not going to be able to reach 218. Obviously at that point she would look to Republicans to provide the additional votes and I think we all know in this particular environment uh, there's no way that Democrats are are going to be able to convince any Republican to join them on legislation. So, as I say, it'll be interesting as, as things shake out. Again, four seats that are still yet to be called, races that are yet to be called in the House of Representatives. But clearly, uh, the, uh, the Democrats are in control. It wasn't, at the end of the day, a, a blue wave. Uh, it certainly was a race where Republicans got really, really wet. Uh, so uh, I don't know that we would call it a, a wave. Uh, traditionally, in a uh, the first midterm election of a president's term, the House members who were part of that president's party will lose about 33 seats, at least on average in, in 18 of the last 20 midterm elections. So this is about right. Uh, if, they, if the Democrats reach the total of 41, it's, it's a little larger. But right now at 38 seats, uh, I would expect that that's pretty much right in that average number. So uh, not a, a shocking success for the Democrats with regard to the total numbers, but certainly uh, they clearly had the message that resonated with uh, voters. And most importantly, those voters were in uh, suburban districts. So we looked at one race that was very, very important, Kentucky 6, uh, that was held by Representative, is held by Representative Andy Barr, Republican who'd been there for three terms, had a, a, an exceptional candidate running against him. Amy McGrath was a Democrat, uh, she's a, a bona fide war hero, uh, and she had an outstanding campaign plan, followed through on it, and the district is a suburban district. So it was really the bellwether for the evening, and uh, because it happened to be in Kentucky, Kentucky is one of the earliest states to provide its election results, 
And as such, we, we really had an opportunity to know right off the bat whether this was going to be a real big blue wave or, again, if it was just going to be a, an opportunity for Democrats to take control with maybe a less than, than uh, what they had hoped for in a working margin majority. When the uh, dust settled in that particular race, Kentucky 6, Andy Barr did win. But uh, when we saw the inroads that Amy McGrath had made as the Democratic candidate in a suburban district, you know, uh, really talking about health care issues and the Republicans sort of desire to, at least as the, the Democratic candidates said, uh, remove any security for those with pre-existing conditions in health care, and with the ability to consistently talk about immigration and the president's demeanor, I think that, that caused a lot of folks, at least in, in uh, Kentucky's 6th Congressional District, to think long and hard before they supported Andy Barr. While the Democrats were not able to secure that particular seat, they sure as heck did in many other of those suburban districts. And, and interestingly enough, the National Club Association uh, and our club pack supported uh, members like Pete Sessions from Texas, the Dallas area. Uh, Pete Sessions was the chairman of the House Rules Committee. The Rules Committee is the most important committee in the House. Why? Because it establishes the rule uh, under which legislation is brought to the House floor. How many, how many uh, uh, amendments can be presented, how long the debate can be, whether it can be returned to the Committee of Jurisdiction for additional work. So that committee is exceptionally important, and his constituents in the Dallas suburb, suburbs certainly knew how important Pete Sessions was, not only to the workings of the House, but and to them as constituents. But he, again, in that district, in that kind of district, was up against a very, very credible uh, Democratic candidate, and he lost. So we, we know that the things that were harped on very well in Kentucky 6 just didn't really provide Amy McGrath enough votes to beat the incumbent Republican, but it sure as heck worked in places like Texas uh, and other uh, suburban districts across the United States. And that's where you saw most of those individuals who lost with an R by their name. And they were in suburban areas that just didn't quite come through, again, because of those three aspects. Maybe the, the health care vote that they had, they weren't able to communicate exactly why and what they were really supportive of. Uh, additionally, the immigration issue and then some of the, the, the demeanor and tenor of the president, I don't think, worked in their favor. So one of our main allies, one of our strong supporters was a, a Republican from Florida, Carlos Cubello who uh, is in the Keys area, so southern Florida and the Keys area. Uh, ultimately, uh, I think he said it best that at the end of the day, he lost based on those three issues. And even though the president may have been uh, really the deciding factor in the Florida gubernatorial race and in the Florida senator's race, the reality is that he didn't help in that particular district for Carlos Cubello. So it's an interesting dichotomy. You look at what happened in the House and you understand that those suburban districts just didn't, couldn't pull out of uh, that, that messaging issue that they ran into, healthcare, immigration, and, the, and some of the president's comments. However, when you look at the Senate, boy, you see a lot of individuals who were expected to win. They were running in red states, against Democrats who were the incumbents. And they really benefited from the comments made by the president and the activities that had gone on in about the month or two months leading up 
to uh, the elections here in Washington. So I think, you know, it was an interesting sort of juxtaposition. You've got the Senate, some of them really where it's a great place for the president to come and to spend some time and to talk about the issues that are important to him. And in the House, boy, it really wasn't. In those suburban districts, that just was not going to play well. And it turned out that it didn't in the House. But as I say, in the, in the Senate side, and let's turn to that now, boy, we had, uh, it was a good day. It was a good day simply because those races that were expected to uh, fall in a pro-club, pro-growth way did. Uh, and that included North Dakota. That included the state of Indiana. And we assume uh, it's still, again, too close to call, uh, but uh, expected Florida uh, will also flip to pro-growth, pro-club member. We supported uh, Governor Scott in Florida, the club pack did, and uh, we certainly supported uh, Representative Kevin Kramer, who was the senator-elect in North Dakota. At the end of the day, those candidates, again, were in very red states, so there was an expectation they were going to win. But what really happened was the president came in and mobilized folks uh, to ensure that while there was, let's just say, some concern uh, on uh, maybe a lot of independent voters' minds, with regard to the activities that have taken place in the last two years. The reality is uh, those base Republican voters did come out, came out in great numbers, and were able to overcome some of the, uh, the, the massive number of new voters who uh, came out to vote in, uh, in every state across the United States, including those three that I mentioned. So we're pleased that, uh, that those whom we supported were successful on the Senate side. Sorry that one of our uh, main supporters was not, and that is Martha McSally from Arizona. Uh, she ran against, again, an outstanding candidate in uh, Kirsten Cinema, another member of the House of Representatives who ran in a, a very competitive race in a competitive state. Uh, and Representative Martha McSally seemed to have uh, the momentum, but things started to, uh, to really not go her way when uh, the final ballots were counted in Maricopa County, uh, which is you know, Phoenix area. So at the end of the day, we were not uh, uh, as successful in Arizona, major club state, but we will work with uh, Kirsten Senator-elect Kirsten Cinema to see if we can't reach some common ground to make sure that uh, our issues that she supports are, are pushed forward. What about those issues? So I guess the, the $64,000 question is, with the Senate at 5147, uh, with, again, two races yet to be called, that one in Florida and the one race in Mississippi, which is going to a, a runoff election on November 27th, what's going to happen? You know, what, what, what's going to happen with our issues? Well, I, I think the, the biggest answer there is that we're going to be in a little bit of a bind, uh, a little bit of a bind only because what we're going to find is the Senate may be very supportive of pro-club, pro-growth initiatives. We have many allies and champions in the Senate who are willing to step forward and do the work that we, we hope they would do. But we may find that a little more difficult to have happen in the United States House of Representatives. Uh, and that's simply because of what we've seen based on history. Uh, when Nancy Pelosi was speaker uh, years ago, you know, I was here. Uh, plugging away at the National Club Association, and uh, and it was a difficult time for those kind of pro-growth issues to really make it through uh, the Democratic uh, perspective. Uh, and ultimately, that's going to, I think, be the same thing that happened and will happen in 2019 when uh, the new Congress is sworn in. Look, we always work with uh, both sides of the aisle. 
And we know we've got great friends on both sides of the aisle. But I think this political environment is going to be exceptionally difficult. And that's our biggest concern. It's not so much that the Democratic majority in the House of Representatives isn't interested in doing things like getting rid of the uh, Cadillac tax in Obamacare. Uh, Union members and union organizations have consistently said that is an awful tax to levy against an individual who happens to have a health insurance policy that is pretty valuable. So Democrats don't like it. Certainly Republicans don't like it. It is a bipartisan issue. The difficulty is, is that we're talking about 2020. That's the next election cycle. And uh, those in the House are going to hope and push to maintain their majority. That means they're not going to be working too much with this administration, especially as the president ramps up his reelection campaign. So I think that political dynamic is going to cause some, uh, some consternation for uh, any of us uh, in the business community to get some uh, legislation passed. If, however, we find that Speaker Pelosi and uh, others are interested in sort of looking at doing more of the sort of infrastructure, the bipartisan measures, the passing bipartisan measures that will really help the country – we may be successful. I'm not suggesting the Democrats don't want to do that. What I'm suggesting is, is politics. And surprise, surprise, politics is dirty, it's tough, and it uh, kind of gets, uh, gets on, uh, uh, on people's nerves far too often. And when it's a presidential election year, those nerves are really frayed. So uh, I think that's going to be our problem. We'll see what happens. We'll continue to push uh, those allies on both sides of the aisle in both chambers to ensure that, in essence, they do what's right. Uh, you know, I've always thought the best way for us to be successful is by passing legislation and moving America forward. When I ran for office, that was my thought. It wasn't, gee, I'll only work with my uh, constituents who were supportive of me and forget all the rest, uh, and I'll only do what they want to do, and that'll keep me elected. That, that wasn't my thought. My thought was, I'll get elected or reelected if I do the right thing. Uh, if I continue to move the country forward. So we hope that both the Democrats and the Republicans understand that now, especially after this election. We're given split government in the Congress, so they're going to have to work together. And if they don't, uh, then it's going to be a real, real tough two years. And again, especially with the presidential election coming right around, uh, you can imagine uh, there's going to be have there's going to have to be. I guess, a a, a real sit-down discussion between leaders in the House and leaders in the Senate from the Democratic side about how they want to pursue the next two years. Uh, That's going to be an interesting discussion to have. If it's legislate, that's going to be great. If it's investigate and, uh, you know, really just present messaging bills that help uh, the Democratic majority maintain that majority in in 2020 and beyond, then I think, as I say, it's going to be a very tough time. And who knows? uh, This is going to be an amazing presidential election year. I know we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it's going to be an amazing uh, presidential election year. I've got, at this point on my sort of crystal ball, uh, probably 10, that's right, 10 uh, Democrats who have already expressed some interest in running for president in 2020. I, I know the president has begun his uh, re-election campaign in earnest uh, already, just right now. So uh, it's going to be a, uh, an exceptionally long election period for uh, 2020. I uh, hope everybody is excited, is ready, and strapped in, because it's going to be one hell of a ride. As always, Gabe, it's a, a pleasure to spend some time with you. I look forward to doing it again soon, and uh, take care. Bye-bye.
To learn more about the National Club Association, please visit nationalclub.org. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Private Club Radio. Wonderful to spend a little time with you today. Hope to catch you back here next week. And until then, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Concert Golf Partners, helping to preserve and enhance private golf and country clubs. Concert Golf has the capital, expertise and private club hospitality experience to help upscale private clubs achieving long-term success and membership growth. For 25 years, Concert Golf has allowed private club members to focus on simply enjoying their club. Visit ConcertGolfPartners.com to learn more about the recapitalization process.